You guys ready? It's a big day. Go ahead and, if you don't, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you've got your phones, have it ready. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. If you're new, I would love to meet you. I would love to talk with you. Um, one thing that we always say, I know everybody that's come here a lot gets sick of hearing me say this, but we want this to be a place where you can be wherever you are. And so if you're in here today and you're doing awesome, fantastic. If you're in here today and you're struggling and you're trying to figure a lot of things out or even trying to figure out who Jesus is, then this is a safe place for you to be wherever you are, to ask whatever questions that you have. And so if you have any questions whatsoever, after the service, come find me. We'd love to meet you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Um, as Jeff said a minute ago, it's just, hey, listen, just to get to know you. We want Freshwater to be a family, to feel like a family. And that only happens if we know each other, right? Right? And so if we don't know each other, we can't be a family. And so I'd love to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. So come find me after um, the service. And so if you didn't know today, we got a pretty new graphic. Thanks to Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah makes our graphics now. Um, you know, we're starting a new series today on the book of John. And I couldn't be more excited. We're, we're actually starting what we call the gospel of John. And if you're unfamiliar why we call it the gospel, the gospel just means the good news. But in the end, who is actually the good news? Who? Jesus, right? Like the safe church answer, Jesus. But that's what the, the gospel means, good news. And the good news is Jesus. And so when we say to people, at, like, we want to preach the gospel, we want them to know the gospel, it's, in the end, it's what we, we want them to know Jesus, right? That, he's the answer. He's the gospel. But to understand Jesus, to know Jesus, you got to know his story. You got to know what he did. You got to know who he is. You got to know him. You got to know and believe in him. And so the gospels, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're just the story about Jesus. They all tell the story of Jesus in a lot of ways similar, um, but in a lot of different ways so that we might know him. And that's really what the book of John's going to be about. We'll get to that in a second. I just wanted you to be ready for our new series today, have John 1-1 open. Before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about John B. Hughes. For all of you that came out to John B. Hughes um, yesterday, thank you for coming. We ended up having a, a really good time out there. If you're newer to Freshwater, John B. Hughes is an apartment complex inside the neighborhood that God's called us to, Tom Watkins' neighborhood. And about a year ago, the door opened back up for us to be there. And we've been there a ton. And we've, we've done a lot of things there. And so yesterday, we had people share their testimonies. And we, shared, we went out there and had a big taco bar and nachos. And apparently, I didn't get to try it, but the nacho cheese was amazing. Whoever brought that, I kept hearing that over and over. And we got to just um, sh share the gospel and have some good music. And it was a good time. And, and here's the thing. Um, we've done some things at John B. Hughes where the turnout has been amazing. And we've done some things at John B. Hughes where the turnout hasn't been very good. We just never know how many people are going to come out. And if you were there yesterday, we had a ton of volunteers. What, 30, 40 freshwater people came? Amazing. Awesome turnout. But were there a lot of John B. Hughes people there? No. And that could have seemed disappointing. But do you know what happened? I, I, here's just my story. Corey texted me this morning and said, this happened with multiple people. There weren't as many people out there as that there normally is. And we had to reschedule this event. And so it became kind of like this, hey, throwing everything together, trying to make sure it all worked because we had to reschedule it because of rain. But during the event, I ended up sitting down and talking with a couple guys for like 45 minutes. Did any of you see me talking with some guys over there? And then Tony kind of came into the conversation. And then Tony and I talked with them. And we ended up just asking questions about their lives. And one of them was super passionate about music. So he talked about music for a really long time. And, and it kind of led into this, like, you know, music is kind of the things that connects with your soul, connects with your spirit. And so if you communicate from your soul, from your spirit, it'll connect with other people. When they start talking about his spirit and his soul, where do you think that conversation went? Right? 
Now, I want, you to show, I want to show you, for those of you that came out and served, and I saw you engaging, right? And we think, man, we wish we had a big crowd, but like multiple things like this happen. Um, you know how I really got the conversation to Jesus? You talk about sharing gospel with people? Is he had a tattoo that said hope. Like, there's a reason that tattoo's there. And I asked him, like, what, what hope? Why hope? What's the story there? And he ended up talking about his mom. He ended up talking about a lot of other things. And ended up connecting back to Jesus. And we had this great conversation about Jesus. And you know what? He, he brought it up. I didn't bring it up. I just kept asking questions. I was like, oh, this is going there. I can see it. I can feel it. Look, listen, I'm not an expert at this or anything. I just saw he had a tattoo of hope. And I nailed him down on exact. He went off on a couple tangents. But I, I want to know why hope is there. And we ended up, he ended up saying something about Jesus. And he ended up talking about his spirituality. He ended up talking about his history. And he ended up talking about how he grew up in the church. But he hasn't been in church in a long time. And then he ended up saying, hey, you know what? We should have a Bible study sometime. What? What? And so he plays basketball. I play basketball. I said, you know what we should do? I should come out here and we'll play. We'll get some guys together. And we'll play basketball. And then after the basketball game, we'll just have a Bible study. He's like, man, that sounds great. Let's do that. What? Right. I, by the way, I never told him I was a pastor. Like that wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, this is a pastor. I need to have a Bible study with a pastor. That actually never came up. Where's Tony? Is Tony in the room? Did I ever say I was a pastor? At the very end, right? At the very end, right? But Tony and I were just talking, just listening, just asking questions, genuinely wanting to get to know him. I, when I have conversations like that, I literally pray, God, if there's a door open, open the door and give me wisdom what to say. Like, that's going through my brain. But, but I think Tony and I both were like, we're not going to force this down his throat. If it doesn't go there, we're not going to force it, but we're building a relationship. The point was the relationship, not that I can shove Jesus at him. And he ends up bringing it up. I don't know if that's going to go anywhere. We got his number. Denver talked to him too. I've got a conversation with Denver too. Denver got some of their numbers. Like they have my number. We have their number. We're going to try to make this thing happen, right? But like this is, this is what I've been trying to tell you. This, this, that was not because Denver or Tony or I are amazing at having conversations with people. We're just listening to people talk about what's going on in their lives. And on this one particular time, it went there. You know what? I had conversations with other people where I tried to ask them questions and they just weren't interested. Because, hi, hi, get some food, great, great, okay, yeah, thanks. And they're kind of walking away from me. Cool, let them walk away. But, but on this one, they engaged. And so what might have seemed like disappointing yesterday where a bunch of didn't, people that didn't show up, we had more freshwater people there than John, people from John B. Hughes ended up. Corey said she had a story like, she had a couple stories like that. And she had another story from somebody else. Even on a day where it didn't seem like the turnout was what it needed to be, God prepared the relationships exactly how they need to be prepared. Our God is good. And so church, I just want to remind you, this is why we are a church that doesn't sit behind our walls, that doesn't just come here and hear sermons preached on Sunday and treat, treat our church like a country club, where we kind of come get our fill, pay our dues, and then head out into the world. No, man, we are a church that is to engage with each other, to be a family, and to go outside of these walls because there's people out there that don't truly know who Jesus is. They don't know the hope. They don't know the peace. They don't know the joy. They don't have the family, and they could if we'll just go. If we'll just be the hands and feet of Christ. That's what our ambassador series was about. So as more of these things come up, please don't treat these things as an event you have to attend. Treat them as a way that you, with the family of Freshwater, can engage with people and be praying God would give you opportunities. I prayed all week that God would give us and me opportunities. And all of a sudden, at the end, when I thought it was over and I thought there was no more time and I was planning on leaving, all of a sudden I have a 45-minute hour conversation with someone and God does something really cool. Amen? That, that, that's you. That's not because I'm the pastor. That's you too. That's us. 
We can do this. And going back to Williams could be a big step in that. Again, if you're newer, Jeff talked about it. If you're newer to Williams, you're like, you don't really get why we'd want to go back to a school and act like a church plant forever. That's where the heart of the neighborhood is. Boys and Girls Club are there now. Williams is there. All the teachers are there. There is no other place for the community to gather. Williams is the heart of the neighborhood. And if we want to reach the neighborhood, I believe fully that Williams is the place for us to do it. And so here's what we're going to need. Just like we need you to engage in the things that we do in the neighborhood, things are going to change when we move to Williams. You know why? We need all of you to engage to make church happen. We've got to set up chairs. We've got to set up tech. We've got to set up his kids' rooms. We've got, like, it's going to change where the freeway, we've got, it's gotten easy where we can show up to church 10 minutes late and sit down and just kind of slide in and everything's good, right? That's dangerous for a church like us. Do you know that? Because we're called to engage. We're called to go. We're called to be the church and just kind of sliding in and then sliding out is just dangerous for our souls. The apathy that comes with that, right? I don't, I don't, I hope you don't feel like I'm calling you out today. I'm excited. I'm excited because this is what we need. It's what I need. It's what you need. And so when we go to Williams, we need lots of you to come in early and engage and set up chairs and tech and his kids and all that stuff. So we're all, we are all making church happen together. Doesn't that sound better? The family of God makes the church happen on Sundays. Not just, not just the pastor gets up and preaches on Sunday morning and I feel really good about it. Man, I hope you walk out of here encouraged in Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. But you know what I'd rather? We all as a family make this thing happen. We are a family. We work to make this thing go so that we'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit and by good preaching go out of these walls and share Jesus Christ. Amen? This is not my sermon today. I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to get to what we're actually talking about today. But church, this world, I'm excited. I don't know if, can you, can you tell? After COVID for a year and a half and after everything we've been through, man, it was just kind of, we, we just kind of had to walk through the slog, right? But the slog is, is, is dried up and the fog is burning away. And I just feel like God is moving us in the right direction. So keep praying. Keep praying for vision, for direction, for where we're going. Keep praying for Williams Elementary and our move. I, I, I think we're up to like 99% that we're going. Just so you know, if you've got a problem with going to Williams, you better come talk to me because that train is rolling. And I'm feeling good about that train. So if you've got a problem, come talk to me soon, right? Or talk to Brandon or talk to someone. But I think that train's rolling and we're going to move there as a church and we're all going to be all in and I can't wait. And that's probably going to happen sometime like February-ish of next year. Okay, I need a drink. Jeez. It's probably because we're starting, you know, just starting a new gospel today. No big deal. All right. What, you guys ready to jump in? Let's actually do this. Open up John. John 1.1. 1, 1. We are going to cover a lot today. One verse. John 1. Verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the word. You notice what's different about that word? It's capitalized. It's not just a word. It is the word. It is a name. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Maybe no other book starts better than John. So good. One verse today. Church, that, this right there, that is what this book is going to be about. That, that is what we're going to be talking about. That's what this series is going to be about. Like, that really sums it up more than anything, more than any other book, maybe more than any other gospel. John is almost exclusively and solely focused in on this person called the Word, and that you would know him, and that you would believe in him, to know and believe. That's why we named it this. That's what John wants you to know, who this Word is, what he has done, and that you might believe in him. 
And so we're going to spend, we're going to spend more time on this verse. We're actually going to dive into this verse a little bit more deeply, but because this verse really is an anchor. It's a foundation for the rest of this book, for the rest of this series. But before we do, before we kind of dive into that, I want to give you a little bit of context first. So I want to talk about the author. I want, to, I want you to know who John is. Right? I want you to know why he wrote this book. I want you to have a little context, a historical context, biblical context of, of what this, this, what I'm going to call a masterpiece, this gift from God, what it's really about, what the background of this is, this book given to us through the Holy Spirit. So let's just start with John. Because John, like just saying, well, John, it might not seem as straightforward at first because there's quite a few Johns in the Bible, right? So it can get confusing, like, which John this is. So, who, who, so let me just tell you, this is not John the Baptist. Some people think John the Baptist wrote this book. John the Baptist, if you don't know him, he's the, he is related to Jesus. He's the one that came to prepare the way for Jesus. He's the one that actually baptized Jesus. John the Baptist, he baptized people. He baptized Jesus, right? Really important figure. But he was there to prepare the way for Jesus. That is not this John. The author of this gospel is John, the son of Zebedee the brother of James. And James and John were both chosen by Jesus to be his disciples, to be his apostles, and for them to walk away from everything to follow him. Just like with Peter, just like with the other disciples. He called James and John together and said, hey, follow me, and they followed. Last week, Tony read, just by coincidence, he actually read from Acts 4.13, where it said that these men, men like James and John, were just normal guys. I think we need to remember that, that they were just normal guys. They weren't special. They didn't have incredible talent, right? In fact, it says that they were fishermen, right? And they didn't have any special training or special education. So later in Acts, when they're declaring the gospel and the Pharisees who have trained their whole life, the religious leaders that have trained their whole life are listening to these guys and saying, how in the world can they speak like this? How can they know the things that they know? We want to remember that these guys were just guys like you, like me. They were in no way special. What made them special is they had Jesus and the Holy Spirit within them. Common people. Common people. Now this John, the brother of James, was just a normal guy. A normal guy that ended up writing the Gospel of John. That ended up also writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And also ended up writing the book of Revelation that came from a revelation from God, and now we still have it today. In fact, no other person wrote more of the New Testament than John, except for Luke and Paul. John accounts for 20% of everything that's written in the New Testament. We are all highly influenced through the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, God through this man, John, who wrote 20%, a fifth of the New Testament. So there are some kind of facts about John, about who he is. Now, let me tell you why I love this guy so much. Because I think it's one of the reasons because I can relate to this guy, and some, some of you can too. Early on in Jesus' ministry, James, his brother, and John, the brothers were called the sons of thunder. Do you know why they were called the sons of thunder? Because they seemed to have a lot of passion, right? They had a lot of passion, but that, pow- that passion wasn't always so much balanced with grace and humility, Anybody relate to that in the room? Brandon and I can't relate, for sure. Uh, Brandon and I can't relate, but it wasn't always balanced with grace and humility. Sometimes they seemed to be aggressive and, and rash and full of zeal, full of passion, full of wanting to go and do the thing. But, but sometimes that, that zeal wasn't balanced, and so it, it led them to do some things that, that weren't the best. A good example of that is in another gospel, Luke, Luke chapter 9. 
And so what happened is some, some Samaritans refused to welcome Jesus. And if you don't know the history of Samar- Samaria, we don't have time for it. But basically, Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. Like, they couldn't stand each other. They were the enemy. And the Samaritans didn't welcome Jesus. So do you, do you remember the story? you remember what James and John wanted to happen? They actually said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, why don't we call down fire from heaven and just destroy them? What? Like, that was the reaction. Like, that's a bold move, right? Like, fire, like, give us fire from heaven, we'll destroy them for you. And Jesus had to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then Jesus rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them. He's not about to call down fire. Jesus would have done it himself if that's what needed to be done. So, on another occasion, James and John's mother on their behalf, listen to this question. You remember this? Asked if, their, if her sons could sit at the right and left hand of Jesus when they got to heaven. Like, think about that for a second. He's, he's basically saying, I know Jesus, Jesus, you're the highest, but when we get to heaven, can my sons rule over everybody else in heaven except for Jesus? Can, can, can they rule over with you? What? That is a bold ask. Like, who asked that kind of question of Jesus? But that's who these guys were, and apparently that's who their mom was too, right? The sons of, of thunder. Jesus had to rebuke these guys on multiple occasions because their seeming lack of love and their seeming lack of humility. Yet, yet over time, through spending time with Jesus, through learning from Jesus, through thoroughly knowing Jesus, John changed, didn't he? Didn't John change? John learned from his mistakes. He learned from the example of his Lord, and John became a man transformed. Did you know that John is the only gospel? Think about this for a second. He is His is the only gospel that records what might be the most humble thing that ever happened. The King of kings and the Lord of lords washing his disciples' feet. John's the only one that records that. Right? And maybe we don't get that, but feet were considered really dirty and unclean, especially in the ancient times, right? So us washing feet now is kind of for some of you, you're like, oh, I'm gonna wash somebody's feet. But like, but then that was a huge deal. John's the only one that records this unbelievable moment of humility. When Jesus was hanging from the cross, when he was dying, and he looked down and he saw his mother standing there, who did he ask to take care of his mom, to love his mom? Who did he say, this is now your mother, care for her like she's your own? Who did Jesus look to in that moment? John. Right, it's a big deal now, but in the ancient world, it was a huge deal to love your mother, to take care of your mother, to honor your father and your mother. And who did Jesus look to, to love his care of his mother? John. John, along with his brother James and Peter, became a part of Jesus' inner circle. It was through them that Jesus built the foundation of what the church would become in him. John transformed. And maybe we don't see that, well, another place we see that transformation very clearly is in the letters John wrote, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, where John shares the truth boldly and passionately. It's one thing I've always loved about John. He'll tell you exactly how it is, won't he? Read 1st John. He tells you exactly how it is, just like Jesus did. Jesus never hesitated from telling the truth boldly, no matter what the cost was going to be. Jesus was going to say it how it was. Yet, Jesus did it in a different way than John did it first. 
And then John learned to do it this way. In, this, in the, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we see John share the truth boldly, but then perfectly balance that with deep, a deep abiding love for God and for his people and with deep humility and submission to Christ. We see it in 1st John. Let me read you a couple verses for 1st John. This is 1st John 3.11 and 1st John 3.23. They say this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this is the, his commandment that we believe in the name of his, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Read 1 John chapter 3. It's really all about how we are to love each other, be humble with each other, be humble to the Lord and serve one another. But maybe maybe we see this transformation more clearly than how John refers to himself in the gospel that he wrote. You know, he never says his own name in the gospel. Do you remember how he refers to himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he recited, refers to himself, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and hear me, this is not John somehow saying that Jesus loved him more than he loved anyone else. No, that wasn't the case at all. It was simply that, that it astounded John that Jesus loved him. But in the same way that it's good and right for us to look about, like look at Jesus and know that he loves us and be astounded by that because you know what you've done, right? You know what you've thought, right? You know the things that you've said. You know the failures in your life. Yet Jesus Christ wants you. He loves you. He wants you and his family. In the same way, John knew who he was. He was the son of thunder, right? He knew what he was. He knew what he had done. He knew the things that he had said and thought, yet he was astounded that Jesus loved him. Despite the failures, despite the sins, Jesus loved him. If the son of thunder can become the apostle of love, it shows not the value of John, but it shows you the value of Jesus' love to redeem, to restore, to transform us by that love. This is John. This is who John is so now that we know a little bit more about this man, John, who wrote this gospel through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? We can say this book was written by God, but through God used people like John, their personalities, their talents, their, how they were built to write these books. And so, so now we know a little bit more about John. Let's talk a little bit about the background of the book and just the history as a whole. And I, I know for some of you, when we start talking about the background of the book or historical context and all that stuff, some of you eat that stuff up. You just absolutely love it. And some of you, when I start talking about these things, might, your eyes might start to cross and you might start tuning me out, right? Just be honest, right? Some of you aren't into this stuff. But let me just say that it is so important. Right? It's so important knowing the time frame of when this book was written, knowing who it was written to, and, and knowing primarily what's, what, what John, what God is trying to communicate to us over, overall, listen, is extremely valuable. It's extremely valuable because in the end, the Bible, sometimes we treat the Bible as, as the one verse or the few verses that we love. That, that's our interactions with the Bible. It's this one verse that I love so much. But it's more than that, isn't it? Or sometimes it's this one book. I love this book. This is the book that I love, and that's the, that's the one you engage with. But the Bible is about more than one verse, more than one book. And the Bible is a story of uh, overall. The, the, the Bible is one large story about, God's, about who God is and his redemption plan for all people everywhere. 
And so we, sometimes we need to take a step back and just kind of see it from a bird's eye view to help us understand God's plan throughout time. And when we see God's plan throughout time, it'll help us to actually behold his glory and his majesty and his sovereignty as our king. It's why we did books like Exodus in the Old Testament, right? We're New Testament Christians. No, like the Bible is all good. It's why we need to see it as a whole. So let's just dive into a few details about the Gospel of John. And I think by the end you're going to see why it's so important. I think you'll clearly see why it's so important. So John was most likely written between 70 and 100 AD. We don't know exactly, um, but that's like 35 to 70 years after Jesus died and was resurrected. But I think, I believe most likely the time ranged from like the mid-80s to, to really early 90s. But I'm going to say mid-80s is probably the most accurate. At least that's what I believe. Now, that might just seem like a boring fact to some people. But it's really important. You know why? Because the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were more than likely written in the mid-50s to early 60s. Much closer to Jesus' death and resurrection. But why does that even matter? We're like, well, their, their books were written closer, so they must be more accurate, right? No, why, why does that matter? John, who was there from the very start of Jesus' ministry, wrote this after a lifetime of ministry and experience. We don't know for sure, but we think he was most likely writing this from Ephesus, the church that, that the Apostle Paul started, right? Kind of the heartbeat of the ministry in Asia, in Asia, Asia Minor. We think that he wrote this to the churches in Asia Minor. For, for all of us, right? For all the churches. But that when I say Asia Minor, we kind of mean like Western Asia, where the gospel was growing like crazy. It says what, because of what happened in Ephesus, the gospel went to all of Asia. We think that John wrote it from here to the churches primarily in Asia Minor. And John would have been not only to the church in Jerusalem, but to the church here. He would have been an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, and a leader to these people, hear me, for a long, long time. They would have known John. He would have been the only one of the 12 disciples that were with him for all that time. Because out of all of the 12 disciples, as far as we know, the only one of them that wasn't killed, that wasn't martyred for their faith, was John. He was the only one to make it to old age. Church tradition states, we don't know for absolutely sure that this is true, but it's always been a part of church tradition. Church tradition states that they tried to kill John, like the rest of the disciples, by boiling him in oil. Can you imagine that death? Boiling in oil. And they put him in the oil and tried to kill him, but they pulled him out and John didn't die. Like a miracle, John didn't die. And I don't know what they were thinking after that, but I'm thinking, wait, we... We just tried to boil this guy in oil, and he's still alive. I'm, I'm guessing they were all like, look, look, look I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this guy. So what they end up doing is they exile him to the island of Patmos. And while he was there, God gave him the revelation of the book called what? Revelation, right, that we have to this day. So he wrote it while he was there. He later was released from exile on that, uh, that island, and apparently he died of old age in peace. So John loved this people. He pastored this people for a very long time. So this is the context. Why is all this so important? Well, if you didn't know this, John is a very different gospel than the other three gospels. Did you know that? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very similar. They have their own unique kind of, their own unique focuses, and they, they say their own unique things, but, but they're all really similar, similar in a lot of ways. But, but John's gospel includes a bunch of things that the other gospels don't include. Like, 
like the turning of water into wine. Did you realize that's only in the Gospel of John? One of Jesus' famous miracles. One of maybe the, mo maybe the, maybe the most well-known verse in all of the Bible is only found in John. John's or Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the religious leader Nicodemus, where we get, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you know where that, the only place that's found? John. The resurrection of Lazarus. One of the things that encouraged me more than anything when my mom, my, my mom and my dad died, just like how God, how much Jesus loved the people and he raised Lazarus, but how Jesus wept with his friends because he saw the brokenness of this world, the hurt and the pain that comes through death because of the brokenness that sin has caused in this world, how Jesus wept with him and then went and raised his friend Lazarus. Awesome story. Raised him from the dead. Only in John. And many of the other per very personal stories about how seeing John being with his disciples, talking to his disciples, like his discipleship and instruction of them are only found in John. Not only that, but he leaves out a ton of really important things that the other Gospels include, like almost all of the narrative parables. Right? Jesus will tell a story to make a point, right? Those are called parables. And most of the ones that are like these big stories, they're not found in John at all. There's no account of the, transfigur the transfiguration. There's not one report of Jesus casting out demons. There's no mention of Jesus' temptation. The other Gospels include these things. John doesn't. You see, the differences on the surface might seem strange if you don't have any context. Unless you understand the background. But hear me, by the time John wrote this, listen, he's the only one to live to old age. By the time that John wrote this, he must have been very aware of the other Gospels. In fact, he probably knew most of the other writers of the Gospels and like Paul wrote half the books in the New Testament. He would have known them, at least most of them, really, really well. They would have known John really well. It wasn't that John was trying to be different or John was trying to correct things the other Gospels left out. No, John was writing this Gospel from the perspective of a lifelong pastor. As a man of God who had seen it all and he knew exactly what his people needed to hear, he knew exactly what they needed to hold on to. He would have known the other churches. He would have known the church had the other gospels. But after watching the church grow and struggle and thrive and be persecuted and be attacked and just be infested with false teaching, in the end, John desperately wanted the church to know and hold on to basically one thing above all else. And that is the theme and the purpose of this entire book. John tells us exactly, we don't have to wonder what the theme of this book is. John tells us exactly what it is. You don't have to turn there, we're going to put it on the screen. But it's John 20, verse 31. We got it? This is what this book is about. But these are written, the things of this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What did this man that had given his whole life to Christ and Christ's people want us to hold on to more than anything else? 
that we wouldn't just believe in Jesus, right? We wouldn't just confess Jesus one day or just come to the front on one Sunday and say a, a, say a prayer because someone told us to say a prayer and that we didn't want to go to hell, right? That's not what he's saying. Don't just believe in Jesus, but that you would know. Listen, know. Not just, not just kind of have an ID, but know in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Know that he is the promised Christ, the one promised all through the Old Testament, the one that fulfills every prophecy, every promise of God, that he is the Christ, and to know that he's not just the Christ, not just some man, but that he is the Son of God. And that by believing in him, we might have life. Life right now and life for an eternity in him. That's what John wanted you to know above all else. A pastor and a theologian named J.C. Ryle had been around for a while, but J.C. Ryle wrote this. The things which are peculiar to, this, to his gospel are among the most precious possessions of the Church of Christ. No one of the four gospel writers, although not silent, has given, a, given us such full statements about the divinity of Christ, about justification by faith, about the offices of Christ, about the work of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and about the privileges of believers. At the heart of everything we read, we preach, we study over the next year or so in this book, it really all comes down to this question, who is Jesus? I know that might not be a surprise to you because we're in a gospel, right? But more than even any other the gospel, so this comes down to who is Jesus? So John's main point, his main theme is knowing Jesus and having life in him through belief. To know and to believe. To know and to believe. And then underneath that main theme, there's lots of all, all secondary themes. I won't even call them secondary themes. There are a bunch of themes that fall underneath this theme. Like, there's lots of things that, we, things that we're going to talk about and discuss, like the seven I am statements, where Jesus claims to be the I am, where John proclaims Jesus more directly, more explicitly, more blatantly as God and Lord, much more so than any other gospel writers. But doesn't that make sense? He wrote it so much later. He much, so much later, like the, another theme, the seven miracles, the seven great miracles. We talked about one of them, right? Turning the water into wine to show the divine power of Christ. He shows the divine power of Christ in incredible ways. He spends more time on the offices of Christ, showing that Jesus truly is the fulfillment of the, of the offices like prophet, priest, Messiah, and king. John spends more time talking about the Holy Spirit than in the other Gospels. He gives us a clear picture of the Trinity and the work of the Holy Spirit, much more so than the other Gospels do. And then finally, we see the call that we spent so much time in in our last series in Ambassadors, where Jesus lays out the call of not only salvation, but for us to take that salvation message, that, that message of glory to the world so that people might know Jesus, might rejoice in him, and might see him and know him through our love for each other. We'll talk about these themes and these things a ton in the coming weeks and months. So all of that brings us full circle back to where we started in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The way that starts, does that remind you of anything else? In the beginning was the Word, Genesis. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
John doesn't just want us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He wants us to know that Jesus is, he, he, and always will be. He is and always will be God. To know and believe this. In this verse, John intentionally echoes Genesis, right? Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Through, through John, what John, through John, God's trying to make clear to us is that Jesus was not some created being. Jesus was not some reaction because of our sin. Jesus wasn't some plan that God came up with along the way to save us and redeem us from, from us messing everything us. No, that, that he wants us to know that at the foundation of this whole book that Jesus was there from the start. He was a part of creation. He was engaged in creation because he is God. He was there when God created all things. The Greek word here for beginning means origin. And so what John is proclaiming here is that Jesus was the originator of all things. Not only that, but he calls Jesus the word, right? If you don't know, if you don't know scripture, that might seem like a weird thing. You're like, Jesus's name in the beginning of John is the word. Yeah, because the Greek word means logos. That's what this Greek word is, logos. And it can mean different things, but here it means divine speech or divine expression, divine speech or divine expression through God's word. We know him, we understand him, and we see his love expressed for all mankind, his will and his love expressed to all mankind. And we see that all throughout the Bible, don't we? That God's word brings God's will, his power, and expresses his love for mankind. In the beginning, God simply spoke and all things were created. Psalm 33 says that by God's word, his word, the heavens were made. All throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, we just see God speak and people are delivered and people are redeemed. People set up against impossible odds, against impossible things, and God just speaks and it's done. They're saved, they're redeemed. We see people on the brink of death or that have already died and then God speaks and they are rescued from the grave. Is that not exactly what he did to us? We were lost. We were in the grave. We were dead in our sin and then God just spoke to our hearts and we are rescued from the grave. He just pulls us out. Not because we did something, because God spoke and we were saved. We were redeemed. This is what God does. This is who he is. This is why the name, the word, fits so perfectly for the one who is the radiance of the glory of the God and the exact imprint of his divine redeeming nature, his own son, Jesus Christ, the word. John wants all his readers to clearly know from the start that yes, Jesus was a man, but he was also God, fully God and fully man. And he makes it clear through his gospel. That from eternity past, he was there with God because he is God. That was a big struggle in the early church. John would have seen this false teaching try to come in and say, well, Jesus was a good guy. He was a good teacher. Yes, he was from God, but he wasn't God. Do you know that still exists today? People wanting to portray Jesus as some good teacher, some good guy, or a, a God, a, some sort of a God. That's what some of the other divisions off, they call themselves Christians, but they portray Jesus as a God, but not the God, not the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And John wants to make clear these things are true. It's very hard to have this kind of lukewarm picture of Jesus if you actually read the gospel of John because he wants to make it clear to the people that he has pastored for a lifetime that Jesus is God. 
without making it confusing. And so we're going to come back to this text next week, and we're going to see it in its whole. And by the end of it, we will clearly see that everything, everything was created by the word Jesus Christ, through the word Jesus Christ, for the word Jesus Christ. John walked away from everything he knew to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, and to eventually be a foundational leader, builder, and pastor of the church in Christ. I don't know if this is actually true, but some church tradition says that John, when he got old, he got so old that he could no longer stand, but that he would still preach from his back because he would not stop proclaiming about his friend, his mentor, his savior, his Lord. He would preach from his back because he just would not be stopped. And this man of God, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, more than anything else, wanted us to believe that Jesus is the Christ that he is the son of God and is God himself and that by believing in him, we might not only have salvation, but life. Listen, life, life in him right now and life in him for in eternity. That's what this series is going to be about. And listen, maybe you think you've heard all of this before. Maybe you think you know this already, but John thought there was more for us to know in Christ. More, more ways for us to live for Christ, to have more of Christ, to have more joy in the promise of eternal life when we place our hope in Christ. There is more for us to have, church. There's always more that God wants to give to us. So this series, to know and believe, that's what this is about. So here's the question to start off this series for you. Where can you know, I mean know your Savior more? Where can you know and believe in him and that he is promising you life in him? He is promising you more. Where can you believe in these things more? Well, let's discover that as we walk through this gospel together. So come back next week and we will dive into the deep end of this gospel named John. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a gift you've given to us. That not only that you would save us, but you would give us things like this gospel so that we might know you. God, what an incredible thing that you're not just the God on high, some distant God that keeps his distance and just kind of watches us, but that you want us to know you. And through knowing you, we might glorify you and live for you and have peace in you and find our hope in you and experience joy in you. God, I thank you for John who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he was just astounded by your love for him. God, help us all to be astounded that despite the things that we've done, who we've been, the things that we've said, that you not only want to save us, but you want to to know you because you know us. Because you call us your beloved. Help us to walk in the truth of that love, that truth, that hope. 
God, if there's anyone in here today that doesn't know this hope, that doesn't know this peace, this joy, this salvation, I pray that you would stir their hearts and draw them in so they might know you, Jesus, that they might, they might know that on that cross you did, you washed, you, you washed away our sin, you made us new in you, and that they can be saved and redeemed, forgiven, forgiven for everything they've ever done and be raised up in you as something new, a forgiven, righteous person in you, Jesus. God, and then for the rest of us today, I pray that this gospel would stir something anew in our hearts, would draw us closer to you, and that we might know you more, and through knowing you more, you may transform us to be like your son. And that would not only change our lives and our families' lives, but that would start a wildfire in this city, particularly on the northwest side of this city, to see the lost saved, to see the far off redeemed, and see people come into the family of God. God, we know we can't do this without you. But in you, even common people like us can do incredible things like John did for the sake of your name and your glory. So we pray that you'd use us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.